Welcome to the Gren Zone. Dissecting dermatology differently. Here is your host, Dr. Logan Kolb. All right, welcome back, my dermy friends. So I hope you enjoyed our mix and match episodes to start things out, because today we're going to jump back into our reaction patterns by kicking off reaction pattern number three, the vascular disorders. If you don't know what I mean by reaction patterns, do yourself a favor and go back to episode three and listen to my interview with Dr. Gropper and then read his paper titled, An Approach to Clinical Dermatologic Diagnosis Based on Morphologic Reaction Patterns. I promise it's worth it and it will help to put all of this in a little better context. So in dermatology, there's a relatively short list of emergencies that we encounter, but many of the skin conditions that are emergencies, such as Stevens-Johnson syndrome or purpura fulminans, land in this vascular reaction pattern, so we have to know it cold. The decisions we make will have big implications for how these patients fare in the end. So if you feel a little uneasy, good because we can channel some of that into learning these emergent vascular rashes. However, today will not be the day to worry just yet, as we'll ease into the vascular reaction conditions by discussing erythema multiforme, and we'll have a little help from another new attending, Dr. Dude. So a little bit about Dr. Dude. I started out as an optometrist, rocking the OD label for years. Then I realized I wanted to live my life a quarter mile at a time. So I went back to medical school and graduated as a DO, and then did my derm residency in Colorado. The ladies call me Dr. Hotshot. You can call me Dr. Dude. D-O plus O-D, get it? So you thought dermatology was all filler and no killer? Well, guess what? I saved 100 lives by the time I graduated residency. Now I'm gonna teach you how to be just as rad. Before we break down our new reaction pattern and give some pearls on erythema multiforme, let's start with our disclaimer. This episode is meant for educational and informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Nor does this episode represent the views of Orange Park Medical Center, Olmstead Medical Center, or their affiliates. So, just to touch base on where we've been and where we're going, remember we have five reaction patterns. Papulosquamous, eczematous, vascular, dermal, and vesiculobullous. In the first season, we covered the papulosquamous disorders, including the psoriasiform, pityriasiform, lichenoid, annular, and erythrodermic subtypes. We then went on to cover acute, subacute, and chronic eczema by discussing irritant and allergic contact dermatitis, stasis dermatitis, asteatotic eczema, and last but not least, atopic dermatitis. So today we open up chapter number three of the reaction patterns, the vascular reaction patterns. So at its most basic form, how would you define the vascular reaction pattern? The vascular reaction pattern refers to red lesions produced by the cutaneous vasculature that may or may not be blanchable. We'll break these vascular disorders into eight groups or individual entities, which include 1. Erythema multiforme, 2. The toxic erythema group, which includes three subcategories, 1. Viral exanthems, 2. Drug eruptions, including Stevens-Johnson syndrome and toxic epidermal necrolysis, or 3. The toxin-mediated eruptions, including scarlet fever, staph-scalded skin syndrome, toxic shock syndrome, and Kawasaki disease. 
Then the third vascular group is the figurate or gyrate erythema group, which includes erythema annularis centrifugum, aka EAC, erythema gyratum repens, erythema migrans, and erythema marginatum. Four, we have urticaria, commonly known as hives or wheels. Five, vasculitis, which refers to inflammation of the blood vessel wall. Six, vasculopathy, which refers to vascular damage in the absence of vasculitis. Seven, retiform purpura, which is the love child of vasculitis and vasculopathy and describes lesions with a dusky stellate or star-shaped pattern. And eight, vascular growths, including neoplasms and vascular malformations. I know that sounds like a mess, but it's what we'll be covering in the next 10 episodes. And like I said, the vascular reaction pattern isn't easy, but we'll repeat this breakdown with each episode and I promise it will get easier with time. Alright, so let's talk some background on erythema multiforme before we see a patient in clinic with Dr. Dude. Did you see the waiting room? The clinic's pumping this morning. Erythema multiforme typically affects young adults and consists of abrupt onset erythematous macules that progress to papules and targetoid lesions that typically affect the extremities and face. The classic targetoid lesions of EM have three zones. One, a dusky center that may have vesiculation or necrosis. Two, a middle pale ring, which is then surrounded by number three, an outer red ring. Targetoid lesions that have these three classic zones are considered typical targets, whereas those with only two zones of color change with or without a poorly defined border are considered atypical targets. And we'll explain why this is important in a minute. We used to consider erythema multiforme on a spectrum with Stevens-Johnson syndrome and toxic epidermal necrolysis since all three conditions can have targetoid lesions. However, since erythema multiforme has a much different set of associations and some subtle clinical differences in these targetoid lesions, it is now considered a completely different entity from SJS and TEN. There's lumpers, there's splitters, and then there's me. It's all just disease that I gotta fix. But in case you're with Grumpy, how would you categorize erythema multiforme? Get this one right and you can take my Mustang for a spin over lunch. We divide erythema multiforme into EM minor and EM major. Both are similar in that they have typical papular target lesions on the extremities and face, and neither progress to TEN. Again, EM minor and major have typical papular or elevated targetoid lesions, and they occur on the extremities and face, and neither of them progress to TEN. The major difference between EM minor and EM major lies in two factors, one being systemic symptoms and two, mucosal changes. EM minor does not have systemic symptoms like fevers or arthralgias, and EM minor will have minimal, if any, mucosal changes. EM major, on the other hand, will usually have systemic symptoms like fevers or arthralgias and will have more severe mucosal changes, which includes erosions on the buccal mucosa and the lips. And what are some of the other mucosal surfaces that can be affected? Remember, our mucosal surfaces to monitor clinically include the eyes, ears, nose, mouth, vagina, urethra, and the anus. 
So here's a little tune to help you remember these crucial areas to examine with a little help from the resident choir. Eyes, ears, nose and mouth, nose and mouth. Eyes, ears, nose and mouth, nose and mouth. Vagina, urethra, and the anus. Eyes, ears, nose and mouth, nose and mouth. Vagina! Vagina! Vagina, urethra! Okay, so now you've got the difference between EM minor and EM major down, systemic symptoms, and mucosal changes. Now, can you think of the main clinical differences between EM and Stevens-Johnson syndrome? There are three main differences between EM and SJS. One, EM will have papular elevated targetoid lesions, whereas SJS should not have papular targets, but instead has macular, non-palpable, atypical target lesions. Two is the distribution of the lesions. EM typically affects the hands, the extremities, and the face, whereas SJS typically spares the distal extremities and is more focused on the trunk, especially when it starts out. And then three, EM has a different set of associations. So again, remember for the differences, EM typically has papular typical targets on the hands, extremities, and face, while SJS has macular atypical targets on the trunk. EM also has different associations, like I mentioned. And what are those associations with erythema multiforme? For EM, 90% of cases are associated with infections, which is much different from SJS, which has greater than 90% of cases being caused by medications. So of those infections causing erythema multiforme, there is a big list of bacterial, viral, and fungal causes. If you had to remember two of them, remember the most common ones, herpes simplex virus and mycoplasma pneumonia. HSV often manifests as cold sores that can occur before, during, or after the EM lesions show up. This HSV infection can also be subclinical and have no lesions at all. Mycoplasma pneumonia, on the other hand, commonly manifests as a walking pneumonia with fevers, headaches, chest pain, and a dry cough. Mycoplasma pneumonia is also the most common cause of EM major. Some other notable causes for EM in general include other viruses like EBV, CMV, and HIV, bacterial causes such as salmonella and tuberculosis, and lastly, fungal infections such as histoplasmosis and even the dermatophytes. Besides these infectious causes for EM, it can also uncommonly be due to medications such as NSAIDs, anticonvulsants, or antibiotics. But at the end of the day, we almost never find an associated cause in 30 to 50% of cases of EM. Alright, so that is the meat of what you need to know about erythema multiforme. So let's jump into afternoon clinic with Dr. Dude in one of his newly hired MAs. Hey Dr. Dude, is there anything you need from me? I mean, anything. So one of his other MAs hands you the chart. <laughs> I bet you didn't think you'd see me again. Grumpy's off at some meeting, so I'm here today. I got a good case for you. This kid thinks he's got poison ivy on his hands after camping in the woods at some music festival a month ago. 
You walk in to see a young male in his late 20s with visible targetoid lesions on the back of his hands. So, what kinds of questions do you want to ask and what do you look for on your exam? Remember, you're suspecting erythema multiforme, so we always want to find a cause if possible. And remember that if the patient looked sick, SJS and TEN would also be on your differential. So as always, get your HPI and figure out the story of the rash itself. When did it start? Have they had similar lesions in the past? Are they itchy? Are they painful? Etc. Etc. Remembering the associations of EM with infections and medications, you want to ask your patient if they have a history of cold sores or genital herpes. If so, have they had breakouts recently and are they taking any antivirals for prevention of the lesions? Huh. Wait, you think herpes is giving me poison ivy? I don't get it. Then you remember mycoplasma as a likely cause of EM and ask about recent illness with fevers, chills, headaches, chest pain, and cough. You also remember that medications can cause EM and SJS, so don't forget to ask which medications they take, if any are new, and be sure to ask about everything over-the-counter, including NSAIDs. For your patient, you learn. <laughs> well, these spots have been on my hand and arms for a week or so. I've had no new medications. I feel like maybe I had similar spots on my palms a couple years ago. And yeah, I get cold sores from time to time. My girlfriend says they're nasty. <laughs> so next, let's move on to our exam. Look closely at the lesions themselves and look for the three zones of classic erythema multiforme. Take note of any lesions that have vesiculation or a necrotic look at the center of the lesion. Next, palpate the lesions to see if they are papular or not. Remember, if you had a sick patient for whom you're trying to differentiate EM major from SJS, the presence of typical papular target lesions on the face and extremities would support EM major, while atypical macular flat targetoid lesions with only two zones and especially on the trunk would support a diagnosis of SJS. I'm a typical papular popular target. And for your exam, you could also palpate for lymphadenopathy to support any suspicion of an infection as a trigger. And last but not least, for your physical exam, make sure to always, always inspect the mucosal surfaces for lesions. Look for active or healing cold sores or any concerning signs for SJS such as erosions. So you meet up with Dr. Dude. He's running behind in clinic, so you give him a nice, concise presentation. 25-year-old male, one-week history of papular targetoid lesions on the hands and forearms. He has a history of cold sores and believes he had similar lesions a couple years ago. He appears well, no mucosal changes on exam. I think he has EM minor, and I think that we should biopsy him to prove it. Well, before we biopsy the patient, let's make sure we connect with the patient on a spiritual level. Dr. Dude walks in like his normal suave self, he takes a look at the rash, he grabs a marking pen and circles the center of one of the lesions on the arms. He flips the pen up in the air and catches it in a scrub pocket like it's no big deal, and then he walks out of the room. Yeah, you were totally right, that needed a biopsy. Have him follow up in a week for results. Good job, Bromelin. So you get your informed consent, you perform the punch biopsy, and you send the patient on his way. So what will that biopsy show if it's classic erythema multiforme? So starting at the surface, you may see some spongiosis, which remember is swelling of the epidermis that creates spacing between the keratinocytes. 
Besides spongiosis, there should be a vacuolar lymphocytic infiltrate, which means there are lymphocytes at the dermoepidermal junction that give it a slightly bubbly look. And then besides the spongiosis and vacuolar lymphocytic infiltrate, there should be occasional apoptotic keratinocytes, which we call dead reds. Eosinophils are unusual on a biopsy of EM, which is helpful to know because Stevens-Johnson syndrome can have somewhat similar findings on PATH. However, SJS will usually have more eosinophils along with more epidermal necrosis. Remember, we typically think of eosinophils with drug reactions, and SJS is more likely caused by drugs, whereas EM is more likely due to infections. So the patient comes back to clinic a week later for his biopsy results. You're all in the room, but the patient and Dr. Dude are staring at the biopsy report, and then Dr. Dude looks up at you and says, Okay, bromhydrosis, why don't you tell our patient what the features of erythema multiforme are under the microscope? You awkwardly look the patient in the eye and tell him that, Starting at the surface of the biopsy, you should see spongiosis, a vacuolar lymphocytic infiltrate, scattered necrotic keratinocytes, and a superficial infiltrate with lymphocytes and histiocytes. Good, good. So how do we want to treat our friend? Get this right, and I just might buy your ticket to Coachella next year for our office team building event. Well, thanks for the invite, but whatever. So you explain that because EM is usually self-limiting after two weeks, you really only need symptomatic treatment. This could be in the form of antihistamines like diphenhydramine or loratadine for pruritus, along with mild topical steroids. If patients have active, painful cold sores or lesions within the mouth, they can be treated with magic mouthwash, which is usually a combination of Benadryl, viscous lidocaine, and Maalox with or without corticosteroids or nystatin. If patients are having recurrent problematic erythema multiforme in the setting of HSV, that's when we can give HSV prophylaxis with acyclovir 400 mg daily or valacyclovir 500 mg or 1 gram daily for up to 6 months or as long as it is needed for the patient. Okay, bonus question. You have a patient with erythema multiforme-like lesions in a history of acute, subacute, or discoid lupus. What do they have? Get this one right, and I'll pay for your ticket to the Festi with your new EM friend here. The combination of EM-like lesions arising in the setting of acute, subacute, or chronic lupus is referred to as Rowell syndrome, spelled R-O-W-E-L-L apostrophe S, Rowell syndrome. Alright, so that's a quick episode on erythema multiforme, so let's give our brains a quick breather and then we'll sum up the highlights. So here's the gist of what you need to know. Erythema multiforme typically affects young adults and consists of abrupt onset erythematous macules that progress to papules and targetoid lesions that typically affect the extremities and the face. 
The major difference between EM minor and EM major lies in two factors, systemic symptoms and mucosal changes. EM minor does not have systemic changes like fevers and arthralgias and has minimal, if any, mucosal changes. EM major will usually have systemic symptoms like we mentioned and will also have more severe mucosal changes such as erosions on the buccal mucosa and the lips. We then differentiate EM major from Stevens-Johnson syndrome based on three big clinical differences. One, EM has papular elevated targetoid lesions, whereas SJS has flat macular targetoid lesions. Two, EM typically affects the hands, the distal extremities, and the face, whereas SJS typically spares the distal extremities and is more focused on the trunk. And then three, EM is nearly always associated with infections like HSV or mycoplasma pneumonia, whereas SJS is usually due to medications. Biopsy of an erythema multiforme lesion includes spongiosis, a vacuolar interface, scattered necrotic keratinocytes in the epidermis, and a superficial infiltrate with lymphocytes and histiocytes. Treatment for mild cases includes antihistamines and topical steroids for itch. And if patients are having recurrent problematic EM in the setting of HSV, they can take HSV prophylaxis with acyclovir 400 mg daily or valacyclovir 500 mg or 1 gram daily. Hey, Dr. Dude, is there anything I can do for you? I mean, anything. And that does it for a real quick episode on erythema multiforme to start out our vascular reaction pattern. The next episode may be one of the most important ones because we'll be discussing a life-threatening disease that we cannot miss and we must manage properly, Stevens-Johnson syndrome and toxic epidermal necrolysis. All right, thanks for joining today. I want to thank Dr. Sean for his help with the content and Dr. K for not only adding clinical pearls but supporting this podcast from the get-go. I also want to thank Garrett and Dan for their work with editing and post-production, along with our excellent team of students and residents with Dave, Dan, and Sandra, who put together an awesome study guide for each episode that's available at www.grenzonederm.com. And that's with two Zs, grenzonederm.com. If you have any feedback on how we can improve our content, you can contact us through our website or via email at grenzonederm at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media for more helpful mnemonics and quiz questions. Thanks again for listening today. I'm Logan Kolb, and we'll see you next time here in the Gren Zone. This episode is copyright 2020 Pro Podcasting LLC, all rights reserved. The Gren Zone podcast is a service provided by Pro Podcasting LLC and is not affiliated with any other service providers.